and welcome to Knowing the Story. I'm your host, Terry Howie. I am fascinated by stories. Not surprisingly, I earn my crust as a storyteller and have spent the last four years researching story for my PhD doctoral research. This series brings you tales told by myself and other tellers, as well as interviews with storytellers and contemplations about how we use story and how those stories work upon us. Hello and welcome to another Knowing the Story podcast. I'm your host, Terry Howie, and today I'm being a bit self-indulgent. Usually I ask other tellers to talk about stories and to share their stories, but today I'm going to be doing that myself. I felt that it was harsh to keep putting other people on the spot when I didn't do that myself. So here we go. I have always loved stories. It sounds like I'm standing up at a self-help group. I'm addicted to stories, but it is quite true. I've loved stories from an incredibly young age. And stories became particularly important for me when I started school at four years old. Not only did I find myself on the edge of the playground sharing stories with the other kids, but stories became the key to unlocking a very difficult and confusing world. You see, I'm severely dyslexic, so the world of books was almost inaccessible to me as a younger child. I loved oral stories. I loved being read stories or being told stories. My dad was a great one for making stories up as he went along. But being able to read stories, I found that so difficult. I would get to the bottom of the page and not be able to remember what I'd read at the top of the page or things would be moving around so much that I simply couldn't pin the story down. It just was incredibly confusing. But oral narrative that I could follow in my mind, create movies and cinematic masterpieces when I heard the words, that flared my imagination. And it's thanks to that that I really survived school and not only survived it, but ended up doing a PhD in storytelling. I know you can't believe such a thing exists, but it really does. And so for me, stories weren't just a way of going on metaphorical adventures. They have taken me on very much real world adventures too. It's been extraordinary. I've travelled right the way around the world, listening to stories, investigating stories and sharing stories. It has been such a privilege. And so the first story I'm going to share with you today is The Storyteller's Parable, which talks about the power of story and those journeys that we can sometimes go on in order just to figure out what we already knew. Once. In a small village, there was an exceptionally good storyteller. And whenever he told his tales, people would gather round and they would listen. And everyone had their own favourite story. And they would beg for it to be told again and again and again. So one day, he thought to himself, if everybody loves my stories, I might do really well if I go elsewhere. And so he did. Off he wandered for days, for weeks, for months, even years, telling his tales, and everybody loved them. But after a while, he started to get lonely. He thought about all of those familiar things back in that village, his friends, his family, and so he returned. And oh, when he got home, the celebrations that they had, they cheered 
everybody was delighted. And so they created a feast in the storyteller's honour, and the best of which they gave to him. And when everybody had eaten their fill, the storyteller got up and began to tell those stories which he had told so many years ago in that village. But the strangest thing occurred. Even though at the end of each story people clapped and cheered, they also began to murmur. Oh, that's a really good story. I love it when Cassandra tells that one. Oh, oh, another good one. In fact, that's my favourite of Peter's. Oh, oh, Bob does a really good one of that one, doesn't he? Yeah, it's great. And when the storyteller heard this, he started to worry. He realised that when he had left, he'd left his stories behind. People had started to tell them. And he thought to himself, but they're mine. They're my stories. They belong to me. And so worried was he, he rushed off to go and see the wise man. He begged the wise man to help. He asked him how he could get his stories back. And the wise man sucked on his gums and scratched his long grey beard and thought for a moment. And finally... He looked at the storyteller and he said, hmm, If you can go and gather me some fine sand and bring it back just in your hands, I will tell you how to get your stories back. And so off dashed the storyteller as fast as he could. He found the sand, he picked it up and no sooner had he had the sand clasped in his hand, then it started to drizzle out between his fingers, drizzling away, and the harder he held on to it, the faster it poured through his fingers. And so by the time he had run back to the wise man, when he opened up his hand, all that was left was a single grain of sand. And the wise man looked at it and smiled. Now do you understand that your stories, just like the sand, cannot be held on to. When you tell a story, you give it freely. The people who hear it take it into themselves, their hearts, their minds, their souls. Giving a story is the greatest gift you can give. And when the storyteller heard that, he realised the truth of it. And from that day on, every time he finished a story, he told his listeners to take his story, tell his stories, and share his stories. And because of that, we still have those stories in the world today. So when you finish listening to this story, take it, tell it, and share it. Well, I hope you enjoyed that story. It is one of my favourites and I do like sharing it with people and giving them the gift of story so that they can go off and share the story themselves. I think that, as the story says, is the greatest gift that storytelling gives. But one of the things that I often get asked as a storyteller, especially from younger children, is, is that story true? Now, this is a thorny question. From the moment that that story leaves my lips 
to the moment it touches your ears, that story is true. Because the event that we're experiencing is absolutely true. The event of storytelling, if we want to get into the science of it, is quite an extraordinary thing because it can start to reshape our perceptions of time and place. We can go on adventures in our minds and sometimes really feel that quite physically through the memories of our own lived experience. So the truth of story, well, Yes, stories are true. There is a truth contained within all stories, but it's a metaphorical truth. It's a truth that we make for ourselves from our own life experience. There are, of course, some stories which are personal tales or that are historical tales, and we could argue that maybe those stories are true. But then it is always able to be questioned exactly how true are those stories? Do we know all the facts? Stories are subjective, but it's because they are subjective that they work on us so well. And so regarding how true or not stories are doesn't take away from the power that they have to work on us, to let us make meaning out of the world around us, to find our place in the world within the order of things and to try and shape our understanding or to even try and shape the world around us through story. But before I wax too lyrical about that type of thing, I think it's time for another story and seeing as we were talking about truth, well, this one sprung to mind. It's called Old Mother Truth. There was once a man who had become disenchanted with life. He was so tired of hearing people's lies and their strange stories. He just wanted to hear the truth. And so much did he long for truth that one day he turned to his wife and he said, that's it, I've had enough. I'm going off to find the true meaning of truth. And so she said, fair enough, you can go as long as you can sign over all the papers to the house and all the money to me. And he said, that's fine, because I won't need it where I'm going. And so off he set. Day after day, week after week, month after month, he journeyed. And everywhere he went, he tried to discover what truth was. He asked wise men and wise women. He sat meditating on mountains and by oceans. But after a year, he still had not discovered the true meaning of truth. And it was around about this time that he found himself up the top of a mountain when a thick, heavy storm came on, lightning flashing, thunder roaring and the rain lashing down. So he quickly went to go and find somewhere to hide himself. And that's when he discovered an old cave and he made his way in. But soon he discovered he was not its only occupant, because there at the back of the cave, huddled over a fire, was an old woman with grey lank hair down to her knees and faces so many and so thick that it would make an elephant's bottom look like a newborn babe. And he said, oh, do excuse me, but the rain out there, the weather is frightful. May I sit here for a moment? And the old woman smiled and said, of course you may, but tell me who you are first. And so the man told the old woman who he was and his quest. And she smiled and said, well, it seems like you've turned up at the right cave at the right time, for I am old mother truth. 
I am as old as time. I am even older than wisdom itself. Wonderful, said the man. Oh, I have been searching for you for so long. If I stay here, will you teach me all that I need to know about truth? Oh, yes, she said, that and a whole lot more. And so the man stayed for a year and a day, learning everything that he could be taught about truth. And finally, when that year and a day was up, he looked to the old woman and he said, Old Mother Truth, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Everything that you have taught me, I shall take out into the world. I shall share with other people. I shall share your wisdom and your wonder. And she said, good, good, I am pleased. But tell me, when you tell them of me, will you describe me as an old woman? Oh, yes, said the young man, for I shall speak only the truth from now on. And she said, ah, that's a pity. I would have liked it if you could have told them I was young and beautiful. I hope you enjoyed that story. I really love the fact that that story plays around with what truth is and that truth itself can be incredibly subjective just as the stories are. I love how stories can incorporate all sorts of different things. This is why we can make meaning out of them, out of our lived experience. For if a story talks about a beautiful woman or a handsome man, we can conjure up what beautiful or handsome means for us. There is a little exercise that I do when I am coaching people with storytelling. So I do groups for both young and old. So I sometimes go into schools, but I also teach um, adults and coach them to tell stories. And one of the great things to do is to say the sentence, the knight rode through the valley. And I get my participants to start to imagine that scene, the knight rode through the valley. And as soon as you start going around the group and finding out what that meant for them, there are all sorts of differences that come out. So for some people, it's a classic knight in shining armour on a white horse riding through a green lush valley. But for others, that valley is wooded and the knight may be not in shining armour or might not even be a particularly nice looking knight. For some people, it's not even a horse. I was working with one group and it was a hairy rhinoceros. On other occasions, I've even had that the idea of the knight is not the knight that we know fighting covered in armour, but actually the night sky and it was the moon travelling across a moonlit valley. So that one sentence can conjure up all sorts of ideas and I think that is where storytelling works best, that it allows us to make our own stories. And for me, that is the real key of storytelling. Many people think that the storyteller is the artist it's true. They go away and they choose the story and they work up their own individual version of it. But the listeners are co-creators. They choose which stories they're going to listen to by choosing which event they're going to go to. That might be picked by whether they've heard that storyteller before or whether that story is one that they like. So 
The story listener is really important, not least because when I tell a story, the image that is being conjured in the mind of the listener, well, I can never know that story, just as every single individual that is listening to that story will have their own version of it, that even two people sat next to each other in a room well, they won't know each other's version of that story. And I find that really exciting, that the images that are created in people's minds, well, that's their own work, that's their own skill. So really, for me, listeners very much are a co-creator in my storytelling process. Without a listener, well, I wouldn't be a storyteller and those stories wouldn't get passed on. And because of that, I created a story. I usually deal with traditional stories, but now and again, I do create a story. And this next story is one that I created to play around with how stories can be something that help us make meaning and that for each individual person, that story is different. So this is called Durgan and the Unseen Terror. There was once a village of round houses and thatched roofs and everybody in that village loved a good story. In fact, so much so that every night that they would gather to the large round house, sit by the fire and they would all tell stories. And in that town, a certain little boy whose name was Durgan loved stories best of all. The trouble is, the stories in this village were always about the same thing, the unseen terror. They would gather there at night, and when everybody was in the large roundhouse, the oldest, most wizened, grey hair and grey bearded man would stand up and make his way to the centre of the room, and there he would start his story. The unseen terror is as tall as 80 trees, as wide as 30 houses, and it will grind your bones up into nothing more than dust. And when he finished his story, everybody cheered and applauded, and he sat back down. His wife turned and smiled at him, stood up and said, Oh, Tish and Bother, that's not the way it is at all. You see, the unseen terror is actually invisible like the wind and can rip the flesh off your bones before you have a chance to think, Oh dear! And that was the way of it. Everybody in the village had their own version of what the unseen terror was. One would stand up and start to talk about its a thousand eyes. Another would tell about its long claws. One would say how it had no feet whatsoever and slithered across the ground. And Sir Durgan, although he really loved the story, started to get really annoyed because he wanted to know what the Unseen Terror really looked like. So one day he decided he would go right the way round the village and ask everybody what the Unseen Terror really looked like. And all he got was more of the same. A thousand eyes, claws, slithering along the floor, until he got to the oldest man in the village. And when he asked him his question... The old man replied, <laughs> The unseen terror, the last time I saw him, oh, that's a good
dead one. The whole point he's called the Unseen Terror is because nobody's ever seen him. You only ever see the destruction that he causes. <clears throat> unseen Terror, the last time I saw him. And off went the old man laughing. And Durgan was stood there, still as frustrated as before. And he went home. And that night, he made up his mind that if nobody else would go and find what the Unseen Terror really looked like, he would do it for himself. He packed a small bag and the next morning he got up and was ready to leave. And as he left that village... The last sounds that he heard was his mother's sobbing <laughs> and the laughter of everybody else who thought that Durgan was as mad as a badger who can be very mad if you start to pull faces at them. But off went Durgan and he searched high and he searched low. He searched round and he searched about for days, for weeks, for months. He searched for the unseen terror. And he came to a place where the people were just finishing building their roundhouses. And he asked them what they were doing. And they said, well, the unseen terror was in this place a year ago and we've just finished rebuilding our houses and our homes. <gasps> oh, said Durgan, the unseen terror, what did it look like? But the people just shook their heads and said, We don't know. Nobody who was there survived. So Durgan continued on his way until he came to a place where he was told that the Unseen Terror had been there a month ago. And he asked his question and they said the same as before, that nobody who had been there survived. He carried on and he came to a place where the Unseen Terror had been there only a week ago. And of course, they all said that nobody had seen it because nobody who did survived. And Durgan continued on his way until he came to a place where the houses were nothing more but splinters on the ground. There was body parts led all over the ground in puddles of blood. And he didn't need anybody to tell him that the Unseen Terror had been there but a day ago. He knew it in the pit of his stomach, that sort of feeling you get when you really need the toilet. And Durgan, he left that place. And he walked up a lonely mountainside and about halfway up he stopped. But there he heard a noise. A noise that sounded as though it was nothing more than a whisper on the wind and yet could be a mighty roar. A sound that could maybe come from a creature that was very, very small or one that was very, very big. But he couldn't tell what. And so he turned to look at the direction of the sound and he heard it getting closer and closer and closer until suddenly there it was. Coming round the side of the mountain stood right in front of him the unseen terror. Now the very much seen terror getting closer and closer and closer. And as Durgan stared at that thing coming towards him, his heart started to pound so loud that it 
drowned out the sound of his brain shouting, Run! And so he stood there, frozen to the spot, as still as a statue, and all of the colour started to drain from his hair and his face and his clothes right the way out through his toes. All he could do was stare as that unseen terror came closer with it. <gasps> well, it's... Well, to be honest... I don't really know what the Unseen Terror looks like, because I wasn't stupid enough to go looking for it. But Durgan was. There he is, stood, still to this day, as still as a statue, as white as marble, staring at the place where the Unseen Terror once was. I say, once was because it's not there anymore. It's out there, somewhere. Pleasant dreams. Well, I hope you are going to check under your bed and in the wardrobe before you go to sleep tonight, just in case that unseen terror is lurking somewhere close by. But if I haven't thoroughly frightened you off, I hope that you'll keep listening, because there's more coming up. Hi everyone, I'm Lynette Hill, co-founder of the performance storytelling event Tales Tattled and Told. On the third Saturday of the month, we bring together storytellers and acoustic musicians to share tall tales, foolish fables, dark deeds, and silly stories. Sometimes just for fun, we even throw in a bit of poetry. You can register through Eventbrite for the Zoom details, and donations to support Tales Tattled and Told are appreciated, but not required. And just so you know, our events are intended for adults, that is people aged 16 and older. Tales Tattled and Told is a UK-based event, so all times given are in Greenwich Mean Time. I'm Lynette Hill, and I look forward to seeing you in the Tales Tattled and Told audience soon. Thank you. If you'd like to know more about storytelling at the Feast of Fools, we meet every first Wednesday of each month, except August when we meet in real life. While we're Zooming, we even include August. You can find out more about us and our doings storyfeast.uk. Just storyfeast.uk. We are on Facebook, search for Storytelling at the Feast of Fools, and we also have our own YouTube channel where we post up videos of some of the stories which people tell. often I am performing to children and children of course love stories innately but stories aren't just for children. Many agree that actually we are storytelling creatures that's what humans are we shape our world and understand our world through stories and therefore everything we do is a story. Every game you play, every film you watch, every TV programme, every news story we hear or read, 
stories surround us. When you tell somebody about your day, it's a story that you give them. With that in mind, that whether you are young or old, we all love a good story. There are, of course, a number of storytelling groups that have sprung up around the country that are aimed specifically at adult groups. Now, it's not that they tell particularly naughty stories. It's just that people are able to relax a bit more in the company of grown-ups and share stories and don't feel that they have to maybe talk down. However, there are some stories which simply are not kid-friendly. They might be a bit too frightening or they might be a little bit rude. And I do have some stories that I keep specifically for adult audiences. So disclaimer here, if you are listening to this podcast and you are under 18, well then I'm afraid this is where you stop listening because I have a story next which is just for adults. And yes, warning, it is a little bit rude, which, well... When you hear the title, it's quite self-explanatory because the title of this story is called The Gilded Fanny. There was once a beautiful princess. She was coming to the age where her father was beginning to get quite anxious that she should be wed. But all of the young men that she'd met, they just... They weren't quite right. All the princes, sure they were handsome and fancy, but there was just something about them that she didn't like. And so she looked at herself in the mirror and she thought, well, you know, maybe it's me. She looked at how beautiful her hair was done. She looked at how beautiful her clothes were. She looked at the makeup upon her face. And she thought, I wonder if I would still look beautiful without the jewellery. And so she took off the jewellery. I wonder if I would still look beautiful if, if my hair was untied. And so she let down her hair and it cascaded over her shoulders and down her back. And she looked at herself in the mirror and she thought, no, I still look pretty. She wondered if she would still look beautiful if she took the makeup off. And so she smeared it from her face. She cleaned it all up. And although she looked a bit rosy treat from rubbing her face, She looked at herself and she was still pleased with what she saw. And then she looked at the clothes and wondered if she would still look beautiful without the clothes. And so she started to peel layer after layer after layer until there she was, without a stitch of clothing upon herself. And she started from the top of her head and she looked down at her fine shimmering hair, her sparkling eyes, her full lips, her full and beautiful breasts down her slim tender stomach and then oh my god what the hell is that she looked and there was a bush of untidy wiry hair there planted right between her legs oh oh that is dust She said, I look refined everywhere else, but this just looks unruly. Whatever shall I do? And then she started to look around the room and to think about whatever people did around the castle when something looked untidy or messy. And generally, 
it was to gild it in gold, for anything gilded in gold, surely shimmering and beautiful, would look wonderful. And so she called for the royal gilder. He was an old man, and it took him quite some time to make his way up the many steps of the tower to the bedchamber of the princess. And when he arrived there with tools in hand, he said, Your Highness, I, I, uh, I have come here at your command. I hear that there is something that you wish me to gild. Oh, yes, she said. I'm so pleased you're finally here. Well, just show me to what it is and I shall do it straight away. And at this point, the princess dropped her robes and she said this. Well, the poor old gilder, he near had enough, had a heart attack there and then. Oh, 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 my princess. Oh, I don't think this is a job for me. Oh, no, my days, my wife would have my guts for garters. No, 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 I tell you what, instead, um, we've got a young apprentice. He'll be able to help you out. I'll send him straight up. Grubs me aunt, and off he went quick as a flash, much quicker on the way down than he'd managed on the way up. And he didn't say a thing to his apprentice, he just said, I think the princess has something that you should attend to. You're far better at it than I am, and uh, well, uh, do take your gilding tools with you just to look good and proper. So off went the young apprentice, very curious about what this job could possibly be that the master gilder himself could not do. And so he arrived at the princess's bedchamber and there she was. And he said, <clears throat> Your Highness, I hear there is something you wish for me to gild. Oh, yes, she said. I am so pleased you came so swiftly. Could you gild this for me? And again she dropped her robes and the young apprentice, his eyes popped out of his head. I mean, he had seen many young ladies in his time, but this princess was beautiful. Her skin shimmered and was so soft and there, what she thought was ugly, he thought was perfection itself. Oh, you must do something, she said. I simply can't go around with this. Ah, said the young apprentice, well, I um, I can help you out there. Uh, I have a special tool for the job, shall we say, a special file. Now, if you will be willing, I can uh, maybe see what I can do with my special file. Oh, yes, yes, said the princess, please do anything you can. And so the young apprentice set to work with his special file and the princess oohed and Ah, and hold. And once the young apprentice had finished filing, she said, oh, Well, I don't think the job's quite done. Would you mind giving it another file? And so after a little rest, the young apprentice gave it another file. And a little bit later on, another file. And by the time the morning came, the princess, well, she wasn't so bothered about whether it was hideous or not. She thought that now it was a truly beautiful thing and asked that the young apprentice would come to gild her fanny at least once a week. And so he did. Well, I hope that story wasn't too shocking for you, but it does let you know that there are stories out there for 
everybody, whether you are young or old, whether you have a slightly wicked sense of humour, or whether you want something clean cut. So if you listen to storytellers and you think, oh, I'm not too keen on this, well, hang around a few moments more and there'll always be another story coming up soon. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for letting me be that little bit self-indulgent and share my own stories and thoughts of storytelling with you. And I look forward to welcoming you to another episode soon where we'll be talking to more storytellers and hearing more stories. I hope you enjoyed that story today. If you did, there are plenty more where that came from. So do check in next time to find out what other stories are lying here in wait for you. We look forward to welcoming you back next time for another story. Whichever podcast platform you use, make sure you click subscribe to get the latest news of my next upcoming podcast.